Jesus wasn't Dutch. Uh, right? Of course he wasn't Dutch. I mean, it's like first century. Holland hadn't even been found yet. But there's Dutch people, and there are people who are Dutch, and, and they're not the same thing. Dutch people are people who are born and raised in Holland. And that's their nationality. That's their heritage. But people who are Dutch cannot necessarily be Dutch people. People who are Dutch are people who are oftentimes known as being, well, some people call them cheap. I like to think of them as, as frugal, being a Dutchman myself. A Dutchman is someone who can pinch the copper out of a penny, right? They know how to make money go, and they don't like to let it go. And you know this, because even if you don't know any Dutchmen, or you didn't know this about Dutch people, you've heard about going out Dutch treat, right? When you go out Dutch treat, it means that everybody's going to buy their own meal, because like a person who is Dutch is like, okay, I'm not buying your dinner because you probably were going to eat more than me and I'm not paying for that. And it's like if I go and, and you buy tonight, we're at Taco Bell, I know the next time we go out, it'll be Sizzler and it's going to cost me more. So you, like, you don't go Dutch treat or you go Dutch treat because you, you're not going to buy somebody else's dinner. And if you do, just let me give you a word of advice. If you're not like, is this is sounding like out of left field for you, right? If you do go Dutch treat with someone, do not pick up the bill and say, I'll pay the bill and you pay me back. Because I promise you, it may or may not cover their dinner, but it will not cover the tip. Our family, four kids, once went to a Dutch person's house for dinner. And they sat out a bowl of applesauce on the table. And the bowl of applesauce literally was like one serving for any one of us. And somehow we were all supposed to eat out of that one bowl of applesauce. Dutch people. They're, um, oftentimes Dutch people are tall and thin. The tall is genetics, but I actually think the thin part is they're just too cheap to eat. Jesus never pinched pennies. Jesus never pinched pennies. He went to a picnic, 5,000 people, five loaves, two fish. And he feeds the 5,000 plus women and children. And after it says, in the passage, it says that everyone ate and was satisfied. And there were 12 basketfuls left over. There was more than enough. He went to a wedding, and they ran out of wine. And his mom asked him to make more wine. And Jesus produced, right, enough wine to make, by our measurements, between 700 and 900 bottles of wine, and the very finest, the very best wine, more, abundantly more than enough. Two times in Jesus' ministry, he chartered fishing trips. The first one, they caught so many fish that it nearly sunk two boats as they tried to bring in the catch. 
The second one, it says that they caught 153 fish. And John makes a note of saying, and they were not just 153 fish. They were large fish. Jesus met the woman at the well. He asked for a drink. And he says to her, if you had asked me for a drink, I would have given you living water. And you have never needed to drink again. Throughout his ministry, he was repeatedly interrupted in his travels, in his activities, day after day after day, time after time, by people who wanted him to do something for him, to open their eyes, to open their ears, to drive out a demon, to heal their child or their servant. And time after time after time, Jesus generously met them in their need. Even generous with thieves. He says, if someone comes and takes your cloak, give them your coat as well. Mary, before Jesus was on, the, when he was on his way to the cross, took an expensive jar of perfume and anointed Jesus with it poured it out so that the fragrance filled the room and Judas protested. This was a waste of money that could have been sold and given to the poor. Jesus wasn't pinching any pennies. He says, what Mary has done is a beautiful thing. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you know how to give good gifts how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts? Jesus never pinched pennies. And he was especially generous when it came to extending forgiveness. Both in quantity, Peter came to him and said, Jesus, how many times must I forgive? Three times was the industry standard, standard, op, stop, standard operating procedure. So Peter thinks he's being generous. How many times must I forgive Jesus? You know, I know not three. Seven? Must I forgive seven times? Jesus says, not seven times, but 77 times. Generous in quantity and generous in quality, right? Not just the little sins, not just the white lies, the heavy-hitting stuff. A woman who had gone through five husbands and was now living with the man. The woman caught in adultery. Matthew, Zacchaeus, they were tax collectors. which They were their own category of sinners. Tax collectors and sinners. Because essentially they were traitors to their own people. And Jesus forgave. Peter denied him. Thomas doubted him. All of them abandoned him. The criminal on the cross had lived a life that deserved the penalty of death on the cross. And Jesus said, after the man's 
requested that Jesus remember him. Today, you will be with me in paradise. You are forgiven. Stunningly, stunningly, as Jesus endured the torture and the shame of the cross, he looks down and says, Father, forgive them. Forgive the people who are doing this to me. Forgive the people that have visited the suffering. Forgive them for they know not what they do. As I look around, as I read the news, which I do, and I look at life and I listen to people, it seems to me like everybody is mad for more. I, every day I read about another, another strike, another group of workers who, who want more money. LA Unified School District wanting um, their support staff a 30% increase. The Delta pilots wanting a 35% increase in their salaries. I read today that the, the ports are about, are on the verge of being shut down again as the longshoremen want more. And I, I'm not making any judgments. They, they, mer they very, well, very well may be deserving of more. They may need more. Their requests, their desires may be justified completely. It's not just money. People want more respect, more control, more power, more attention, more stuff, more, more, more. And whether one deserves it or not, needs it or not, for almost everyone, no matter what they get, it will not be enough. It won't be enough. And it's actually, this whole more thing, it's, it's not a new thing. It actually goes all, all the way back to the very beginning of the story in the Garden of Eden. Remember God brings Adam and Eve out and he's made this beautiful, plush, lush, gorgeous garden. It's like, you know, Hawaii on steroids, amazing. And he says, it's all yours. You can have the whole thing. Enjoy it. Eat, drink, and be merry. Except for this one thing. It's about... Right, just this one thing. And what did they do? With everything at their fingertips, went for the one thing more. There is never enough. There is never enough to satisfy the self life, the life that is centered on self. Arrogant people want more people to lord over. Prideful people want more people, want more success to show off. People who envy want more of what other people have. People who are greedy want more than other people have. People who are obsessed with self-preservation want more security. People who are committed to self-sufficiency want more control. People who have low self-esteem, they don't feel good about themselves, want more confidence, even that, self-centered. People who are drowning in self-pity want more of whatever it is they feel bad about not having. People 
are set on self-gratification, want more tropical vacations. And people who are self-righteous want more moral superiority, more people that they can look down their nose at. The self-life, the self-life is never satisfied. In an effort to derive our identity or meaning or happiness or significance or security from something other than God, to get life without God, to secure life without God, Jesus says, the self-life, every version of it, will fail every time. Whoever seeks to save their life will lose it. He says it will kill you. Sin is at the center of self. Sin is at the center of self because self contends that I can do life without God. And the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. It's at the center of the self-life and it is the point of the cross. We've been reading these last few weeks in our worship on Sunday mornings and walking through the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not alone. I don't have to find my own way. I don't have to make my own way. I don't have to figure it all out. I have a shepherd. But it's more than just saying I'm not alone. In his confession, David also says, I'm not enough. I need a shepherd. I need someone to provide for me. I need someone to show me the way. I need someone to guide me. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. God, David says in the psalm, God is enough. God is enough. And David continues, you anoint my head with oil. Anointing was instituted by God as a means of taking common things and consecrating them for sacred purposes. So when he called the priests and he gave them clothes that they were supposed to wear for their duties as priests, the priest and everything they wore was anointed for the purposes. When they made altars that they were going to offer their sacrifices to God, they anointed these, they're just rocks, right? But they anoint them and make them sacred for the purpose of offering sacrifices. Kings were anointed. All the furnishings of the temple were anointed. The prophets were anointed. 
You anoint my head with oil. David says, my cup overflows. I'm being set apart for a sacred purpose with this anointing, with this consecration. And, and what you're doing, good shepherd, is not just getting the job done. It is more than enough to make me holy. It is more than enough to make me qualified for this sacred duty, for this sacred responsibility. It's more than enough. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd in John chapter 10, claiming Psalm 23 and David's words for himself. I, all the things that David talked about, I am the fulfillment of that. I am the good shepherd. He says, I lay down my life for my sheep. Paul explains in Romans chapter 5, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' sacrifice for us wasn't just enough. It wasn't just enough for the sheep who were there. He says that actually that he would be the good shepherd for those who were there and for those who would come later, that his sacrifice was enough for all whosoever would believe in him for the rest of history. It was enough. It was more than enough. It wasn't just enough for the sins of the past. Right? You sin. You're forgiven. You make clean. And you go on in your journey. And you blow it again. And wow, I've already been forgiven. Can I be forgiven again? And Jesus says, yes. Once, sacrifice for all sin, for all time. More than enough. It's not just enough to get you out of jail for free. Right? It's not just enough to, to, to rescue you from the flames of hell. But it's enough. Paul says, since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his death, through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not just enough to save you from death, not just enough to save you from eternal destruction, but save you to life, to life abundant and to life eternal. Not just enough that we can slip in the back door. Hebrews says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we receive his mercy and we find grace to help us in our time of need. Let us come boldly. How can we come boldly into the very presence of the almighty, holy God? Because the sacrifice 
was more than enough. One of my favorite stories that Jesus told was of the prodigal son who had taken all of his inheritance. He had it all, and he blew it all. And one day, he came to his senses, realizing that his life was over, and he was living worse than the pigs. And he realizes that even the servants in my father's house have it better than me. And he decides, he decides to go home. And his hope is that when he gets home, that his father will save his life. That his father will put a roof over his head and food on his table, not as a son, but as a servant. He's hoping the father will save his life. And his father runs to him, meets him on the road, and showers him not with just enough, but with the abundance of his household. His father's love was more than enough to cover all the pursuits that were never enough. Your heavenly father's love is more than enough to cover all of your pursuits that were never enough and never will be. Check your cup tonight. Is it overflowing? Do you find yourself slopping with the pigs and wallowing in guilt and shame? Do you find yourself stuck in the self-life and not getting anywhere out of it, wanting more and more, but it's never enough? Is your cup full and overflowing, spilling over with love and forgiveness to you and to those around you? If your cup is not overflowing, the call of Christ is to repentance. It's to repentance. Because his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness is more than enough. So turn back again from whatever self stuff has you captured. Turn to him again. And take your seat at the table of abundance. Abundance.